just to quit Photoshop so that uh yeah for your resources. Bit. Yeah. Let's quit. 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 Okay. Hello. Hi. How are you today? Uh good. I just um went to, I went to Seattle this weekend. Um oh, okay. to hang out with James. Oh, cool. But yeah, that was cool. And then it was funny, it was kind of wild. Um, I was on the plane back and we, uh, uh, this was Monday. And then the, um, they came on and made an announcement. They were like, we have great news, everyone. Ma they just announced that masks are no longer required. <laughs> and everyone started clapping and like cheering. And, and they were like, masks are effective immediately, optional. Yeah. And then, uh, so a bunch of people took off their masks. I didn't. Um, and then immediately, like 10 minutes later, they came back on and were like, actually, never mind. Um, we just realized <laughs> that a lot of people might, might have, you know, booked this flight with the understanding that everyone would be wearing masks and this was suddenly changed for them. So put your mask back on, please. Oh, my God. It was uh... wild. That's really funny. I love that they didn't have like a, their plan in place. I yeah, I, I had seen. That's crazy. You were on a flight. I saw some of those flights with like the people like cheering, and they like pant. They like go down the aisle, and I, you know it's like ninety eight percent of the people are like stoked, and then there's like one old lady who has like her mask on, and she's like super sad and like grumpy. It's uh, it's that's crazy that you were on one of those flights. Yeah, it was me. Uh, I was the grumpy old lady. Um, and then like as I was getting off there was a woman who was standing there like yelling at the crew there were there were and she was like I'm immunocompromised and everyone's yanking off their masks I mean uh, yeah it's I, I I think it's uh I was I'm not surprised at the same time to see those videos but I was not surprised but shocked uh there the, to see so it was a wild I don't know it I don't know what the thought process was behind like we have to announce this immediately <laughs> Uh, and not um, give people like I don't know a like chance to it, adjust. Yeah, right, right, right. Uh, well, in COVID news, I finally got COVID nineteen um, after. Right. Yeah. I went out to a to a book release party and uh -huh. uh, and immediately the like the next day I saw that the author had had uh, tested positive for COVID nineteen oh, and then no. I was like oh, okay and I immediately started getting sick right thereafter. Luckily, it hasn't been too bad, but it's um. It's still on weirdly ongoing. Like I'm like still have like a hoarse voice and I cough and stuff still. So it's uh it's uh it's been like twelve days and I'm still a little bit ill. It's kind of annoying. Yeah, that sucks. I'm sorry. I oh, no, still have not gotten it. it that, that was my goal was to put it off as long as possible. And then it it seems like any that now we're entering the phase where it's gonna be it's gonna be really hard. Um if you do things like it. travel or go out or anything to like not catch it, we can, we just have to, well, maybe that's wrong to say, but it seems like for a lot of us, we're just going to have to cross our fingers that it's like not that bad or, you know, plan mm -hmm. our lives around it. So we'll see how it goes. Mm -hmm. Should we do uh, like the intro and everything? Or what do you think? Yeah, we should. We should. Okay. We'll see how we, uh, how we do this episode. I, I feel like we just like went right into it. It was funny. <laughs> um, I kind of like when podcasts do that too, though, when they're just like, I don't know, no intro, just start chatting. I don't know. <laughs> well, well, we can skip the, we can skip the intro on this one. You know, we're four episodes in, like the people, they know the formula. They know what we're going to do, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. What are we talking about today, by the way? 
Well, Jonas. are we getting straight to our main topic or are we? Oh, yeah, we have new, and, new, notable new and notable. Yes. Um, do you have anything? I do have one. I have one that's been on my list for a little while. Um, and that's The Sympathizer by Viet Tan Nguyen. And oh, yeah. Yeah, this novel has on, been on my list. I'm like really intrigued by it, you know, mm -hmm. um, like literary spy historical novel mm -hmm. from a different point of view i was like okay this seems good so i have it on my bookshelf i've been waiting to read it i haven't gotten mm -hmm. to it yet i will soon and uh, then i actually i started to read it and i couldn't get into it so mm, okay um i don't know not that it's i don't know not that it's bad or anything it's just i i this is a total aside but um i um you know last year i looked at the number of books i had read in the year like on goodreads and I'd read like 50 something books. Yeah. And I was, and I was like, oh, you know, I'm going to live like 60 more years, maybe. <laughs> if I read like 50 books a year, that's, you know, 3000 books in my lifetime. And I was like, um, <laughs> but now when I'm reading a book and I'm like, kind of like not totally into it, I'm like, do I want this to be one of the 3000 books I have left to read or could I read something else? Yeah, I, I, I think that that is like 100% a great way to think about it. We have a very yeah. limited amount of time on this yeah. earth. Um, I think that that's totally appropriate. And, you know, I, you know, it happens to me too. Like I'll hear a lot of really good things about a book and I'll start reading it and I like won't, it won't, um, it won't capture me and I'll put it aside. And it depends on like my like guilt level. I'll like want to go back to it or not. What 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 was the book that that happened with last year? Um, is it Red Wolf, Black? Oh, Red. Uh, yeah, Black Leopard, Red Wolf. Yeah, Black Black Leopard. That, that was a, by Marlon James. Yeah. I struggled to get. I fi I did read it. I finished it. Okay. but it was a struggle. That was a. It was a tough slog for me. Yeah, I, I started it. And I was like, okay, I'm intrigued, but like, I'm I kept zoning out, and I realized it might be one of those books, like I don't know, like the English Patient or something that I read over the course of like the next 15 years, like uh, yeah. slowly over time. Yeah, and there were parts of it that I did really enjoy, but like, it was it just has like kind of a dense, impenetrable language to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and. Yeah, so I, I think that that's right. I'm like in support of people not doing things that don't capture their interest. And I think it's it's right to think about the, you know, you we only we all have a limited amount of time on this earth. Like, what are we going to enjoy it doing? Yeah. Uh, but anyway, they're adapting oh, yeah. it. So, yeah, the sympathizer. And um, recently it was announced that um, uh, 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 that uh, Park Chan-wook, um, was going to be the director of it, and that okay. Robert Down and that Robert Downey Jr. had signed up to play some roles in it. And I think it's it seems kind of interesting. He's going to play multiple roles, like all connecting back to the American government and their like influence in Vietnam. So he's definitely uh -huh. like a like he's a CIA operative and also an, a, like a businessman and et cetera, et cetera. And so just that and the the selection of a director who I think is really great and everything this makes this feel like an appealing project that was like okay like if this is on my radar i'm gonna check it out actually okay yeah the last movie i saw from him was the handmaiden which i yeah i thought was great and i need to read that book speaking of um oh the handmaiden i didn't even know that's a book i like yeah, it's a, um yeah uh it's an adaptation of this um sarah waters book fingersmith um okay so he transplanted it to korea which oh, cool. is interesting. Yeah, it's it's cool. It's funny. It's like unexpectedly uh, 
like this um, explicit with the sex. Oh, Almost yeah, it's like, full on. It's yeah, full it's on. like it's like full on. Like, yeah, um, I was like, okay, this is more than erotic. It's like pretty intense. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it's a fun movie. I have a bit of news that is a something that is not being made. It was previously okay. being made, and it, uh, just yesterday there was a article that came out about um, drama behind the scenes at Netflix Animation about, okay. you know, initially when they, um, when lots of creators flocked to it, it was um, kind of like, you can do whatever you want and you can just have your vision and, um, you know, we'll back it up. And then, uh, and this behind the scenes article was saying that um, now they are holding up um, Boss Baby as the pinnacle of, of like what they want to be making. <laughs> because now they have the data right they have all their right. streaming data right but they also said that um a lot of the creators you know they would show they would be like we're canceling your show and here's why and they would show them this data and they would be like uh okay and then uh, and you know they would ask a question about it and they would be like well here's some here's the data again and it would be different data like okay so they were just they were just creating a reason to cancel shows it seemed like okay and just mm-hmm. justifying it with this data that may or may not be accurate. But um, so they did have in the works, this has been announced for like over a year ago, um, an adaptation of Bone, the comic book series. Oh, wow. And uh, in this article, they re- they revealed that that has been canceled. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, um, I hope that it gets done someday, but I hope it gets done exactly however Jeff Smith wants to do it with as few compromises as possible. So, um, right. Or maybe it's for the best. I don't know. Yeah. Um, there, I couldn't find out who was attached as creators, but I just found an article that was saying Jeff Smith got his dream team to do it. Mm, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And I don't know who that is, but. It sounds like he was doing it exactly how he wanted, but now it's uh, just not going to happen. Okay, well, that's one we'll we'll follow we'll follow up on. Hopefully, maybe they'll they'll follow they'll find a new in the streaming wars. Like a new platform will be like, yeah, we'll bankroll this project. Yeah, it's just funny for Netflix to you know presumably they spent some money on the rights to it oh, and sure. a lot of money yeah, yeah, yeah. on um, you know in pre production and just deciding it's not worth it. I guess. Seems like a, um, I don't know, a real mess there. I, it doesn't seem like a safe place also as a creator to take your show mm-hmm. because you can't guarantee that it will, you know, you'll get to do the whole thing. You know, maybe we, we would get like one season of a bone show and then it would just disappear. Right, right, right. Like the, yeah, the thing has to hit in a certain way. Like that was what was happening with what um Invincible. I remember that was like up in the air. Of, you know, they did like a season, and then it it hit pretty big for 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 Robert Kirkman at at all, and now they're they're going back to the well on that one. Hmm. Yeah, it's tough. That's a tough medium. Um, I hope that it seems like Jeff Smith's really he's pretty smart because he's like owned his own creation from the very beginning and has. Uh-huh basically it seems like done it exactly the way he wants to so hopefully he'll be able to keep on that that rhythm and do exactly what he wants to do and get the get the get his vision out there i hope that'll work yeah i hope so um 
Yeah, bone is something that like I um, I don't know. I struggle to remember the details of what the story is. So I'm like, oh, this epic story. But wait, I don't remember what happens or how it resolves or anything. <laughs> uh, that, I've been thinking a lot about Jeff Smith and Bone and like his cartooning because the 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 section of uh, my book Orcs in Space that I'm drawing right now is like back in a fantasy realm and it's like in a forest and a in you know with ruins and and magic mm -hmm. and everything. And so I, I've definitely been thinking about the ways that Jeff Smith drew all that stuff in his cartooning and. Um, trying to channel a little bit of what he did, uh, which is, a, of course, a high bar to set. Yeah, totally. Um, should we get into our main topic? Yeah, so yeah, well, let's, let's do our main topic today here on Apples and Giraffes, the podcast. <laughs> Just to, to at least mention it once. Right. Um, so what are we doing, Jonas? Uh, we are talking about um, Ted Chang. Um, short stories by Ted Chang, uh, yes. who specific, we're going to talk about Arrival, which is the adaptation of um, his story, Story of Your Life. Mm -hmm. And then we're each going to pitch each other um, a different one of his short stories that could be adapted. Right. Something that hasn't been adapted so far. Right. Ted Chang is a, um, he's an interesting author because he has um, only written short stories. Some of them are um, like novella length, but he doesn't have a novel. Um, mm -hmm. He's only written 18 short stories, I think. Um, so he's not super prolific, but also a lot of them have all are like Hugo and Nebula winners or nominees. Right, right. That's, there's like two books and then every couple of years he'll have a story come out and almost invariably it's nominated for those big science fiction awards and often seems to win them as well. Mm -hmm. And I kind of feel like he's sort of a darling, you know, a critical darling at least, or, you know, a darling of the internet. Like I haven't ever seen like any kind of, um, I don't know, any, any perspective from anyone who's like, you know what, Ted Chang's overrated. Like, it seems like yeah. everybody loves him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I definitely love him. Um, you know, I, and I came to his work through the adaptation that we're going to talk about, Arrival. And uh -huh. I liked Arrival, and I, I thought it was interesting. And I had heard it was adapted from a story by this author. And I was like, okay, I'm going to check it out. And so I got this first collection of stories, uh, the stories stories of your life and i was like i really was blown away like i was like wow this is an amazing set of work um and then luckily right after that he had his next collection come out so i didn't have to wait like 14 years like most people <laughs> had to wait i guess you don't have to wait because the stories come out but if you wanted another book by him you had to wait for a long time and so he had exhalation come out right after that and i thought exhalation was just as good as the stories of your life um, every, like almost every story is really great. They're like uh -huh. these polished little gems. You can tell he probably takes forever to work on them and refines them down and does a lot of research on everyone. And, um, yeah, I don't know. Um, it's rare that I feel like I'm in the presence of like a sort of, I don't know, semi-historical literary figure or something like that. But I think that Ted Chang should be taken as seriously as like a great literary figure, as a great writer, as anyone who is um, 
beloved by the the big the big wig literature world. Um, he remind, he reminds me of like uh, Jorge Luis Borges and other Italo Calvino, mm -hmm. other writers who like mm -hmm. dabble in fantasy and science fiction, and who are really into thought. And um, I I love him. I think he I think he might be. I don't know. I think he's amongst the very best working right now in 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 literature writ large, not even just since science fiction. Yeah, um, yeah, he's actually pretty similar to Borges in a lot of ways. That they both work in short form, and that um, every one of them I've read has you know has like a real big idea like behind it, mm -hmm. where you know you come away after reading a story and be like, oh, you know, my mind was blown by that one. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, should we get into um, Arrival? Yeah, yes, yeah. the, the story of your life, Arrival. And then for, for those listening, we, we tend to mildly spoil, um, mildly or even sometimes severely spoil the books and the movies that we're talking about. So mm -hmm. um, just warning, if you haven't seen Arrival, if you haven't read um, the story of your life, um, then uh, we're going to chat about them right now. Yeah, I don't know how, I don't know if we need to really do the whole plot you know the plot is pretty simple yeah i don't think so um it's uh i mean writ large it's basically the story of the arrival of aliens on the earth mm -hmm. um a, a linguist and a physicist are brought by the u.s government and the military to um, learn the language of the aliens and in learning the language of the aliens First off, uh, in the story, Ted Chang spends a lot of time on linguistics and the idea of learning a language and what that means, that interchange between, between cultures, between species, between planets in this case. And um, over time, um, I mean, I guess it depends on how much we want to spoil, but over, over the course of learning the language of the aliens, the linguist starts to learn some very important things about their worldview that um, are kind of mind bending and change. They don't work exactly with the way we view the world and um, mm -hmm. it can kind of creates some interesting uh, knock-on effects. Right, I can't, um, I don't remember the name of the theory, but it's a, it, there's, a, there's a language theory that is the, you know, at the core of the story, which is that um, language affects thought. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So like if you learn to think in a different language, you'll learn to think differently. Right, it, right, yeah. right, right. And so the key, the key like aspect of the story is that to in order to learn to write the alien language, you need to learn to think like ahead in time. It changes your perception of time. Right. The 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 aliens the, they remember the future in the same way that we remember that we humans remember the past. They were they uh -huh. can, they look more both forward and backward in time, and it's. Um, they they see themselves in the middle of the stream rather than at the at the head of the arrow moving forward like the way we view time they they see themselves as a, like a molecule in the river or whatever right and um so then the the protagonist of the story starts to learn to um see the future basically mm -hmm. um and this is done uh you know a lot of ted chang stories have tell they do two or more like parallel stories and kind of like interrelate them and in this one it alternates the story of her learning to speak with the aliens with her addressing her daughter in the second person about uh what her life is you know what her life is like mm -hmm. and those are all told in future tense um you know 
on your second birthday, you will do this, you know? Yeah. And then that's basically the story is that, um, and then the aliens, once she learns the aliens language, the, the aliens leave mm-hmm. and we don't find out why they came or anything else. It's all pretty mysterious. Right. Right. Yeah. And then in, um, you and I were really briefly chatting about it, but we saved it for this conversation, but we, we really wanted to specifically also talk about like the challenges and then the successes or failures or just the technique that they used to adapt this when um, Denis Villeneuve and his screenwriters uh, brought this to the screen as a rival. What did you think about that? Um, well, it's, you know, the interest, uh, this story, like a lot of, you know, like a lot of science fiction stories that are, that's more about the ideas um, than anything else kind of doesn't give the characters a lot. Um, there's not a lot there and we don't, you know, apart from the, her relationship with her daughter, we don't find out a lot about her or what she, um, you know, hopes or dreams or mm-hmm. whatever. Um, and also like, uh, she is, she's not really given a reason to want to communicate with these aliens other than, you know, it's her job. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess there's the, the, you know, the scholarly pursuit of, you know, linguistics, um, you know, and her passion behind that. But um, what the movie does really elegantly is it gives it um, a lot of stakes and that, you know, there's this escalating military conflict going on all around the world. Mm -hmm. And the movie never steps off the gas on that. It's always kind of pushing forward, like, because the aliens, there's multiple ships that have landed all around the world and each of the different nations where they've landed has like a different response to it and to trying to communicate with them. And the, and a big part of the conflict in the movie is them trying to share that knowledge or withhold that knowledge from the other nations. Right. And then there's also, there's a um, rogue uh, soldier who tries to blow up the ship. And yeah, they kind of introduce a lot of like interesting B and C plots into the into the main thing, and I I, th- I thought it was pretty well done, you know, like they because they they sort of explore additional territory instead of I don't feel like they changed anything from Ted mm-hmm. Chang's story. They instead just kind of expanded it just just enough at the edges so that you got like additional context. I, I thought the geopolitical element was really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, the, I thought that was I thought it was really interesting, and I thought it actually like expanded the ideas that are in the in the novel and then even brought in new ideas like new ideas about like the future of humanity and what we can do to work together and things like that i thought it was kind of cool um and then uh also they reveal at some point that um the reason for the aliens visit which isn't you know isn't done in the story Mm -hmm. and it's kind of the core it's one of the core questions of the of the movie because there's that scene where they're trying Forrest Whitaker, I think, is the um, um, figurehead for the military in this. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, there's a scene where she is explaining to him, um, you know, he wants her to, ask, to get to asking, what is the purpose, what is your purpose on Earth to the aliens? And there's a scene where she explains how hard that's going to be to do, like how many concepts are like wrapped into that, which is a really cool scene. Um, and when the, what they reveal eventually is that the aliens... Um, are giving 
the uh, language to humans as a um, as a tool that they will in turn and the aliens have seen in the future thousands of years from now that humans will need this to help the aliens themselves. Right, right. Which is really elegantly like wraps it all together, like with the core concept, you know, of the, you know, the linguistics being a key to like seeing the future. Right. It's like the, it, it takes the, the very tight local idea, which is there's the idea there's the way that it's expressed in the main character, Amy Adams' life and mm-hmm. her relationship with uh, the man that she has a child with and with her child. And then that gloss kind of like the thing about the, this big kind of almost space opera kind of thing where like in thousands of years, the humans have to ally with these aliens, but only because they've come back and the, they've not come back. They didn't come back from the future, but they understand that they need to plant the seed. It all ties everything together with a nice little bow i think it works quite quite well Mm -hmm. and then the movie pulls off a really cool trick i think which is they take those parallel stories you know of her talking to her daughter um and they make you think that they're a flashback to a child that she's had that died i forgot about that you're right yeah and then there's a twist where you realize that this is in the future that she hasn't had this daughter yet Ah, uh, yes, you're you're totally right. I forgot about that. And then, so it becomes an interesting thing that she knows she's going to have this daughter um, who's going to die. That's another thing is they they change. Is it in the story, her daughter died in a hiking accident? Yes. And in the movie, they change it to an incurable disease. Yes. Which is which makes you know it makes it more inevitable. Like right, and also for an accident. Just- yeah, it makes the yeah. decision to have the child that it's 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 more close to home for a lot of people. Right. And then, it, you know, in an accident, she could be like, well, she could prevent that somehow. But the disease, there's no way she can prevent it. And yeah, so she and she chooses to still have the daughter, you know. Well, a big thing in, in Ted Chang stuff in also in the um, uh, other stories he's had with that involve like time travel or knowledge of future events is that the, he always has this deterministic view of it which is it's, you can't change the future. Right. So, you know, even if she did have, even if she, though she does have this future knowledge, there's no way she could change it. And um, there's no way she could choose to not have the child. Mm-hmm. No, she is making the choice. She couldn't, she couldn't not choose to. Yeah. <laughs> so do you, so, so it, I think we both think it was a successful adaptation. I'm going to ask because some of the things that you're pointing out, they make me, they make me wonder, is, is it even an improvement? Is it like, is in some ways, is Arrival an improvement on the source material? I think in a lot of ways, yeah. I think, it, you know, it's not like, I wouldn't go so far as to say it's like an all-time, it's not like an all-time great movie or anything. No, I don't think so. I think it's a, I think it's a very good movie. Um, but as an adaptation, I think it really shines. It really, it didn't, it definitely didn't, ruin anything about the story you know and i think yeah i and, think even and, and by the, the little things that they added maybe even transformed it to something that uh is more expansive mm-hmm. i don't know you know i can't remember when i first read the story wh- how what i thought of it exactly <laughs> did you read the story first or did you see the film first i read the story first okay so you're yeah, the reverse so, of me yeah and i Ted Chang, I was aware of him before the movie came out. And I think I remember being like, oh, they're adapting that one. That one's, that's weird. 
Oh, I was going to say uh, there's two things that um, I would improve about the movie if possible. I, I, I wish that the alien language was looked like something that you could actually write if you learned it. Mm-hmm. It looks just kind of like liquid smoke. And um, I don't know. In the story, it's it's um, I kind of picture it. It is like circles, I think, in the story. Like I think so. Movie. I think so. But it, it kind of made it seem I, I was kind of picturing like Arabic cursive or something, but in a circle. Um, yeah. And I kind of wish it, it, it had like a stronger like if like if you saw a symbol from it, like on someone's tattoo or something, you'd be like, oh, that's from Arrival. But it's just a blobby circle. Right. If it, yeah, like they 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 had the challenge of like visualizing something that's supposed to be sort of impossible in a way. Um, but I I think I can understand what you're saying, and I think I probably agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, I kind of wish I don't know if, whether it's possible, but I kind of wish the title was a play on linguistics somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, like something like future tense or something. Yeah. Yeah, it's a very simple... Um, it's a kind of generic title, and it makes it kind of like, I don't know. Um, uh, I don't know if it's as bad as Edge of Tomorrow, but... Uh, <laughs> 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 yeah, I think, I, I don't know, that's a really tough... I, I don't think Story of Your Life works as a, as a science fiction blockbuster movie title. No, they just got, it seems like they almost like dug into a bag of like pre-approved um, right, alien movies. Yeah. Yeah. And they were like, OK, we've got like Arrival, Descent, um, <laughs> <laughs> The Happening. OK, we'll go with Arrival. All right. That's that, yeah. that's fine. Is that, cool. They've got they've just got a, like a, a spreadsheet full of like names that they, you can use for all kinds of different stuff. Just slot yeah. the movie in here. Yeah. But I think the I think the alien ships look cool. And I think mm-hmm. the aliens themselves look cool. Mm-hmm. And they actually, I think they stayed they're true quite, to the book for what the, for, for the story, for what they look like. They're very, very close. Like, I think that they, they, they skip on some exact details, but they're, mm-hmm. they, it's, the, the aliens in the, in the book are very much, uh, the, the ones in the movie are cl- really close. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I don't know, should we get into our personal picks for other stories? Yeah, let's do our Hollywood should go to. Let's do our picks. Yeah. So what? What's which one? What did what? And and uh, I know I had I found it a little challenging to pick stories because I kept being like, Mm -hmm. oh, okay, maybe I'll do this one. Maybe I'll do that one. Maybe we'll have some honorable mentions at the end. But um, what did you end up picking? Uh, I picked uh, Hell is the Absence of God. Yes. Which is just to get into um, the plot really quick is. it's a story of a world where we have indisputable proof that God is real, heaven and hell are real, and angels visit all the time. Yeah. Uh, and when an angel visits, they uh, just appear, fly around, and then disappear again. And sometimes they say something like, witness the glory of God or something like that. <laughs> um but when they appear it's a it's like a huge natural disaster they appear in like a explosion of flame and just wreck things around them and um but they also affect a bunch of miracles while they're there and their miracles could be either good or bad right like you could have cancer cured or you could have your eyes just disappear right 
Or you could just it, be killed in the explosion too. Right. Or or nothing could happen to you. You could just be sitting around. It's it's this insane um, uh, random universe where like these angelic visitations seem to be to have no meaning at all, but are also in indubitably true and real. And then also when someone dies, if you're if you're there to witness it, you can see whether they go to heaven or whether they go to hell. Right. <laughs> like they're like this is it's it's all like the old school visionary sort of stuff, you know, like you see their soul fly up into the air if they go to heaven mm-hmm. where they're gonna go and be with God, or they descend down into hell, which is literally underneath the earth. And sometimes the earth opens up and you can kind of see into hell. Mm-hmm. And hell in this world is not as the as the title sort of suggests is not um, a place of fire and brimstone it's that concept that hell is the absence of god so the, it's the people it, in hell yeah hell is just like the just like our world here but you but god has no presence there at all yeah and it the story is told in kind of a funny way where every time there's a visitation by an angel it's told almost um as if it's like being relayed by like an insurance adjuster or something because it's like there were 13 13 people killed, 12 went to heaven, one went to hell, nine <laughs> miracles, 10 were benevolent, um, you know, five were um, malevolent, you know. There was $5.1 million in um, damage, yeah, all of which um, is not applicable to insurance because it's an act of God, right? Right, literally an act of God. Um, but anyway, uh, so in this world, the main character is Neil, and Neil... Uh, wife is killed in one of these appearances by an angel and she goes to heaven mm-hmm. and um but neil is he's in anguish over this because you know he loved his wife and he's not going to get to be with her and he's very um he's pissed off at god and he hates god for this and this is a problem because if he hates god he can't get into heaven right and then the other main characters is Janice and Janice was while her mother was pregnant with her, she was affected by an angel's visitation. And uh, so she was born without legs or she has little, she has flippers for legs. Yeah. Like little feet. I think that's it. And she has become like an evangelical motivational speaker um, speaking to other people who are, who have been crippled by God um, or you're disabled, um, and, um, t- you know, telling them that, um, you know, they should love God anyway. Right. And, and then in another appearance by an angel, she, um, gets her legs back. Right. And right. She, which she hasn't asked for and doesn't want, uh, because she, you know, she, she was, she just, this is what she's always known and she's, she likes life the way it is. Yeah, so exactly. She, she was happy. She 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 had no problems with her condition, and then it was transformed, and she didn't ask for it or anything. Right, and so she tries to continue being a, a speaker in the same way, but um, she's not finding any success because the people are like, "Well, fuck you! You have your legs." Yeah, they find her attitude annoying. Before they, she was inspirational, and now she's mm-hmm. annoying. Mm-hmm. And um, so Neil decides that he is going to try to um, be there the next time an angel appears because when when an angel appears they kind of go into and come out of a portal 
to heaven. And if you can see the light of heaven coming out of that portal, then you are guaranteed to get into heaven because you've witnessed heaven's light. Yes. And they, they get into some amazing, like, it's, I feel like there's so, the, the, the story's pretty short, um, but they get into some amazing details, de- world building about the world. Like there's a whole thing you, you, um, you are blinded by the light, uh-huh. but not just that you, your, your eyes can't work or anything. Like you suddenly do not have eyes or, or sockets or for your eyes. Like you just yeah. have never, you have completely like, smooth skin there. Yeah. And um, um, you completely fall in love, in love with God and you're guaranteed to go to heaven. And they have this great aside where they talk about there, there was some debate over it and they, they, they couldn't decide whether or not you were guaranteed to go to heaven. And then they talk about the serial killer and rapist who while right. burying, about that part. while burying his, his, his final victim, like sees the light of God is blinded. Then he's arrested and then he's executed for his crimes, but his soul ascends to heaven. Um, and all the families of the victims are very upset by the whole, the, the whole ordeal. Yeah, absolutely. But this is the proof that, Heaven's light is a is a is a guaranteed golden ticket, right? If this guy can get in, you, yeah. it's it's perfect. Yeah. So Neil decides that in order to get to heaven to be with his wife, he is going to be there when an angel appears, and the best way to do this is to there's a spot out in the desert where angels often appear. Yeah, there's these holy these holy places where where it's more common instead of uh, just random. It it happens pretty regularly there in these plots. Right, and um, uh, so there's all kinds of like pilgrims there and people camping out there. And Neil is there with, um, he like has a dune buggy and he's driving around all the time waiting for the angel to appear so he can chase it. And Janice has also gone there to ask God to take her legs back. And she has tried to talk Neil out of his plan. Um, right. Right. They've, they've met, they've met previously in the past and there's another mm-hmm. side, a less important side character who has also met with them and they're, they're all kind of right. there. Ethan, Ethan is a character who, um, uh, in the same, um, uh, visitation by an angel where Janice got her legs back. He was also there, but nothing happened to him. And he kind of questioned, what did that mean that nothing happened yeah. to him? So he's decided to follow Janice around and like help her be her (laughs) assistant so he's also there in the desert with her and so basically um an angel does appear and neil is chasing it in his dune buggy and his dune buggy turns over and crashes and he's lying there bleeding out and while he's bleeding out um he uh sees heaven's light and his eyes are removed and he knows true love the true love of god (laughs) he loves god with all his being and then um he dies from bleeding out and he goes to hell anyway. Right. And then hell is extra torturous for him because he has no, he has known God's love. He doesn't love God any less for being in hell, but he will never know God in, in this, in this hell, which where there is no God. Yes. And then um, I can't remember. I know Janice. She also, Janice, she also loses her light. eyes, but she, she doesn't get hurt. Oh yeah. She, she keeps her legs. And she because she continues on a new evangelical quest, but she's right. less popular than she used to be because she's just like there's a lot of these people who have been not a lot, but there's people who have been blinded. And they all say the same thing. They're kind of boring. They're like God's great, and, but they're and so yeah, she, they're less relatable. Yeah, 
because you can't really convey what you've seen. Yeah, and then the the other character, the, the tertiary character, Ev, uh, Ethan, he decides that his whole reason for being there was just to witness this whole thing. He witnessed someone be blinded by the light but go to hell, another person be blinded by the light, she, she couldn't see anything. And he was just, he, he bore witness to all this event happening. Right, and so he is the one who communicates to the rest of you know the world that heaven's light doesn't guarantee you entrance to heaven. Right. Okay, so to me, this is a this is a horror story <laughs> <laughs> because it the the point of it is that God is completely arbitrary. Yes, and it doesn't matter what you do or. I don't know. There's a horrible world to live in. <laughs> you know, you, I mean, um, yeah, you could be struck down at any moment or you could just, you know, good people have bad things happen to them. Bad people have good things happen to them. And then you can just go to heaven or hell completely arbitrarily. Yes. Yes. Well, I, I was thinking about that because I, 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 I was I was remembering that. Um... Because I was rereading it, and I was like, "Why does he go to hell at the end?" And I re- I realized that like what it is is that if you die, there's something, there's some sort of like rule where like if you die while chasing the angel around, you always go to hell. Like everyone goes goes to hell, and it's like maybe considered to be a suicide or something like that. But the people don't really understand. Right. Um, there was an aspect where ba- they were like, "This is considered a suicide," but he also it's did basically see how arbitrary, died. though. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so at first I was looking at, um, uh, well, actually at first I was like, well, maybe this, this could be kind of a, my first thought was that this was like kind of a, um, a, uh, kind of a sad sack comedy almost mm-hmm. like, um, like forgetting Sarah Marshall or something like that, where you have kind <laughs> of a slubby guy who like is really down, but then the ending makes it so bleak that I think it's really, it's gotta be a horror. Right, and I think it's the story, the way the story is told is kind of interesting because there's basically no dialogue in the story. Right. Um, the way that Ted Chang writes the story is he basically just gives you the inside perspective of every single, like each of the main characters, exactly what they're thinking, what they're feeling and why they do everything. So you get all their motivations, mm-hmm. but you don't get any of the surface. So an adaptation of this, an adaptation to film would be, it's kind of interesting because there's like the all the dialogue, the tone, the way that the people speak to each other, all that is left up to the screenwriter to write. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So initially I was thinking like, um, you know, Seth Rogen is the lead or, you know, someone like that. <laughs> but yeah. But then when I was like, no, this is a horror. I was thinking first of um, Ari Aster, uh, you know, who did um, what's it called? So, uh, Midsummer. Yeah. Yeah. Because those are, are kind of the right tone, I think, of like, I don't know, existential horror. But then I was thinking, um, for me, I think one of the most, uh, I think the most important emotion to play with in horror is dread. Like okay. more more than the, more than like gore or violence or like, you know, like running for your life. That kind of a thing is like the, the horrible anticipation of like what might happen. And um, the directors that I thought that in recent memory have done really well with that are the Safdie brothers. 
who did oh, okay. um, yes. uh, Uncut Gems and um, Good Time. Mm-hmm. And those are like, yeah, the most tense movie watching experiences. <laughs> and I thought um, they would be great for, you know, Neil has this terrible plan to like, you know, chase after this angel and just like knowing that he's going to do this and it's inevitable and that uh, he's going to do it anyway, you know? And, right. Um, and just the anticipation of that, I think could be really like nail biting and excruciating. And that would be, um, you know, a pretty interesting watch, like edge of your seat. I, yeah, I don't know exactly how I would structure it. You know, you started off with Neil, um, uh, and, you know, and his wife happy and that, you know, show like everything that's taken away from him when this angel appears. But I cast uh, Harold Perrineau for Neil. Who is that? Um, he, uh, he's been in lots of stuff. He was in, um, you might know him from Lost. He was Walt's dad. Okay. Uh, just, he has kind of like a, like he's in, uh, he has kind of like a demeanor, like he's, like he's in anguish. A lot, yes. I, feel like. he, he, <laughs> I, I I agree. I agree. Now that I think about his role in Lost, for sure. Yeah, yeah. So I can see him as someone like like a widower, really suffering. And then I cast Amanda Seyfried for Janice. Okay. Um, you know, because I just watched her in the Dropout, where she really plays like kind of a fanatic. And I think that could be good. And also, yeah. like, like kind of like she's also kind of an evangelist for her own, you know, product in that. Um, which I thought could be good. And then uh, one of the directors, Benny Safdie, is also an actor. And so I cast him as Ethan. Um, oh, that's great. Yeah. And he has, <laughs> he has such an interesting face that, you know, I don't know, he'd be good. Um, you know, another thing I was thinking about, the Safdie brothers, are, um, they're Jewish, and they don't get into in the story, um, you know, how the other religions of the world are reacting to this very Christian um, universe. Or we don't, it's actually kind of interesting as I was rereading it, I realized that, um, you know, there's some little markers that this is sort of like the contemporary world, like there are people right. have trucks and things like that, but there's never a mention of any nation, there's no mention of any religions or anything like that, so you could really kind of play with it, it's just, it's, it, it's just as if there is, um, it's just too self-evident for there to be a real need for there to be like um, too many religions, you know? Right, I mean, and there, it's a very like kind of Old Testament mm-hmm. um, uh, vision of, of God and the angels. And it's funny because the angels are named like when they appear, they're like, that's the angel Nathaniel who appeared there. Right. <laughs> they like they knew and they like radio in and they're like, it's it's Ezekiel. He's here, you know, or, yeah. or, or Gabriel. And then they, they have like their own little it's almost like a, I, I had a vibe that was like almost like a superhero kind of thing. It was like, oh, no, it's, uh, it's right. this guy. Um, and that would be another thing that would be cool and fun in the movie is to make it the, the, like really the Old Testament depictions of the angels where they have like 72 wings all made of eyes, and th- you know, things like that. <laughs> yeah, so that's, um, yeah, that's my, that's my pitch for um, how was the absence of God. I, I approve your version. I like it. I, I yeah. mine is a little bit different, but it's not the it's not radically different. And I like yours. And I I, I think that the Safety Brothers are a cool, unusual choice. Um, and I, I'm sure they would, it would be like a truly miserable slog, <laughs> uh, but really in a in in the best way possible. Yeah. <laughs> so for me, I, I and I think that your like all your instincts are are spot on. I kind of saw it as 
um, a little bit like a horror film, but also just it's just so everyday. You know, like I really wanted to like that capture the the that this is just the everyday reality for the people is that there's these visitations by angels, and um, so the 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 director I ended up thinking about. Um, even though I didn't love his most recent movie, but I think he could really do a good job with this is David Lowry, um, okay. who did Ghost Story and um, The Green Knight most recently. Okay, I haven't seen either of those. Um, and he did uh, he did a couple others that I haven't seen, like Pete's Dragon um, and and some others. But um, so he does. I think he's into this kind of like concept of like uh, fate and the inevitability of um, the inevitability of death and uh, like these outside forces that are working on humankind. Like for instance, in um, the film Ghost Story, it's basically um, uh, about a man who he dies, but he becomes a ghost, and he's literally a ghost in a in a sheet, um, which is a pretty interesting. Uh, visual effect. Um, there's a guy with a sheet with holes cut in it walking around, and he haunts his house for uh, for many many decades thereafter. And it's all just about the you know, there's you can tell that there's just rules that apply to people that we don't understand, and then you just have to go kind of go with the flow or fight against your fate or whatever. But you are just stuck in a universe that is not designed for human beings and is not going to respect your desires and wishes. Very similar in The Green Knight, which I, I liked less. Um, I, it was one of my more anticipated movies um, of, recent, of recent time because uh, it just I was like, oh, okay, this is going to be great. Medieval uh, stuff from this guy. It's going to be good. And I, I didn't love it, but I did think it captured like the sense of the strangeness of medieval storytelling and um, the way all of the Christian religion is woven into the storytelling in ways that are very alien to our modern sensibilities. Mm -hmm. And the Green Knight also has some really cool, convincing special effects and um, art direction and things like that. So I was like, okay, yeah, I, I can envision this. Like I can envision David Lowry doing a really good job with this story making it feel super grounded in everyday life but then having the the outsized appearances of the angels like um just feel huge you know uh -huh. with like like the electricity and the fire and everything i think that they would be really good and so that kind of connected for me a little bit with um the casting too the casting of neil um i cast uh casey affleck okay um who's worked with um uh, this director multiple times, but also just in general, I think Casey Affleck is quite good also at being being like overwrought, really sad, um, like haunted by his past. Um, he did that in uh, films like Ghost Story, but also like Manchester by the Sea, Out of the mm -hmm. Furnace, The Assassination of Jesse James. I think he's really good at being both uh, like a real sad dude, but also determined to get his way and move... <laughs> move the needle in one way or another so i thought he would do a really good job um for the other characters it could kind of be a wide variety i thought for janice i i just decided to give it to an actress who i really like and i'd like to see her in more things um is uh, dominique fishback um she was in two tv shows i really liked she was in a tv show called the deuce um, okay and another tv show called show me a hero um, and then I okay. think she was most recently was in um, 
Judas and the Black Messiah also. Okay. Um, and she's she's just she's just good. She like projects a lot of like she projects a lot of like um, sweetness, which I think would work really well for Janice. Um, and I didn't have a I didn't have a, a, a concept for Ethan. I felt like it could almost be um, it could almost be anybody in some right. ways because he's such a he's such an everyman uh, like uh, a little bit older maybe uh, maybe I don't know maybe Ethan Hawke or something like that. Uh uh-huh. I haven't yeah I haven't seen any I don't think I've seen any films by that director but um, you know I've been meaning to watch all of those so you know you know your mileage may vary i would recommend i think i recommend ghost story pretty unreservedly just because it's a kind of it's both entertaining and interesting and a little bit experimental in what it does so i I think it achieves its goals pretty well and and has some cool surprises um the green knight personally i was a little disappointed with it um but it, it 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 looks great and it's 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 worth watching but i it it, it didn't rock my world the way i was kind of hoping it would mm-hmm. all right so cool. what what uh story have you got okay so um as i mentioned i i vacillated a lot i couldn't decide which story i was going to do and in the end mm-hmm. i just went with one that is maybe a little simple but i i i just love it um and it's um the merchant and the alchemist's gate i love this one and um I, it, it's it almost it's interesting because it almost feels it's a story that's set in the you know like the the sort of golden age of Baghdad and Cairo uh, the the golden age of um, the Muslim Caliphate and it it obviously takes a lot of inspiration from the Book of a Thousand Nights and a Night and yeah. it is it just feels like it could have existed at that time like it could have been a story that was written by um the people of that time or it could have been a story that jorge luis borges wrote in the early the middle the mid-century the middle of the 20th century or something it feels like it's existed for longer than it has and i i was quite impressed that someone was able to create such a, a crystalline little fable right um or it could be um inserted by one of the translators like aladdin was Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like I, I, yeah, exactly. Like you could definitely put this into future. Like I'm sure in 500 years, people won't know um, who wrote what, and this will just end up in uh, big collections of uh, of uh, of Arabian tales, and um, it will be will be considered to be uh, doctrinal. Um, this one, it's 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 surprisingly simple um, and direct. It's um, a set of nesting stories. Um, a uh, a merchant whose name is uh what is it uh, Fuad ibn Abbas. He's a merchant in Baghdad, and um, he is telling a story to uh, a king, and he says, "Okay, let me tell you the story of how I ended up where I am in front of you." And I won't go into all the details, but basically, he visits a a, a new stall at the uh, at the market, and it turns out that the 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 man who runs the stall is an an alchemist and he creates these things um that go beyond the limits of science at that time or even science uh, of our own times um there's some funny little hints that he's maybe doing things like building electrical motors and things like that um on oh, the right. side mm-hmm. as described by the, the 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 main character the merchant but the the most the the the, the key to the story is a pair of gates that um well i'll just say a gate that uh has been created by this alchemist and what this gate does is that you can walk through it 
if you walk from one side and into the other side, you walk into um, 20 years in the future. And at first, the, the merchant doesn't believe him, but he, he says, um, he asked the, the alchemist to tell him some stories. And the alchemist tells him three different stories about people who used the gate one way or another. Um, one was a man, a poor rope maker, who walked through the gate and into the future. And he was looking around. He was like, wow, Cairo is so much bigger than it used to be. Uh, that's a little detail, actually, I should have mentioned. The, the alchemist is newly arrived in Baghdad, and he just created this gate in Baghdad. But he, in the past, had created a, a, a gate in Cairo. So it, he has another shop that his son now runs where um, the, the gate allowed people to move, go into the future. And, and, and um, this so you... rope maker... So you come out in the in the past in Cairo. Yes. Yeah. 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 There's like a it's sort of like a a, a gate at two different points of time and tw twenty mm -hmm. years apart. And the there's a variety of little stories. One is the story of a rope maker who goes into the future and he, he finds out that he's actually like extremely wealthy in the future and he's quite poor in in the past. And um, he goes and sees his older self and his older self says, oh, good, I've been waiting for you to arrive. Um, but I couldn't remember what day it was that you, my younger self, visited me, my older self. Mm -hmm. And the, his older self gives him all these like little bits of seemingly uh, mundane advice. For instance, he'll say, walk on the north side of the street and not on the south side. And then a few days later, a runaway cart kills five people on the, on the south side of the, the gate. Mm -hmm. And the rope maker goes back into the future and he says, well, how did, like, so did you get killed? Did you get run over by the horse? He said, no, of course I didn't get run over by the horse because uh, my older self told me not to go. So it's this paradoxical circular logic that, that happens yeah. where everything that the older uh, version of himself tells him is the things that allowed the older version to exist in the first place. Mm -hmm. Um so he finds his, his fame and fortune. Um, the older self sometimes won't tell him about things just so that there he can like continue having a little bit of excitement in, in, in his life. And that's his story. Then another character goes into the future, um, hoping he's heard the story of the first guy. And so he's hoping that he also will be rich and um, rich and wealthy in the future and it turns out he's not he's just a he's like an old miser we're living with an old with living with an old woman in the same house and everything's the same but um, he goes into his future self's house and he finds out that his future self has all this gold in a chest and he's like what this is ridiculous my future self isn't even benefiting from all this stuff i'm just gonna take this and i'm gonna have fun and use it in the past and that's what he does. He goes back into the past and he uses it to uh, kind of buy himself fame and fortune. And he, he uses it also to end up getting married to a woman um, who uh, when she when later on, when his wealth is stolen and she she finds out that he has, as he claimed, borrowed the money from somebody. And so she she finds this very frustrating. She says, you know, you know, well, well you have to pay all the money back. We're going to have to scrimp and save until you can pay back the person that you borrowed the money from. And so that's what he does. He saves gold for his whole life. And that's the gold that he himself steals from himself uh, in, in, in the future. And then finally, there's one last little story um, where um, it is the wife of the first person, the rope maker, who goes into the past 
And she, um, I won't get into all the details, but she ends up uh, starting a love affair with the, her, the younger version of her husband. because She's really excited to meet him. And he was such a passionate and amazing and technically skilled lover that she is like, okay, I'm going to get back with my, my young version of my husband, which I, I, I love this concept but then it turns out that he's not a good lover at all he's actually you know he's he's befuddled he's like a virgin and she realizes oh it's up to me to teach my lover to be the lover that i remember in the past and so that's what she ends up doing um, along with some other interesting little tweaks along the way where she she does some very clever things with um, going into the past and into the future um, and then all that wraps up with the first character, the, the Fayed, the, uh, the merchant. He says, okay, what I really want to do is actually I want to go into the past. I'm excited. And the alchemist says, oh, no, I'm sorry. Well, I just set up shop here a week ago, so you can't go into the past. You see, this, this gate won't open to go into the past for another 20 years. But there is the gate in Cairo, which has been active for more than 20 years. So, so the merchant realizes that what he can do is he can travel the 60 days in a caravan to Cairo, get into the, get, go, in, go through the gate, then travel into the past, and then come back to Baghdad. And the reason that he wants to do this is that he was away on business and his wife died in, a, in an accident. He never got to see his wife. And he knows from the stories that the alchemist has said that there, that, that time is fixed. He can't, he can't change anything, but he hopes that he's he hopes. Well, maybe my wife didn't really die. Maybe I can like take her into the bring her back into the future. Who knows? And um, and none of that happens. He ends up, um, but he does end up getting a sort of absolution. He realizes that um, he gets a message from his wife that he was never able to get otherwise. Um, because he was away on business and he gets a message which was that she was even though her life was very short she was very happy to have spent her life with him and this is this moment that like completely absolves him of his guilt and he um, has a sort of redemption because of that um, and then one final little twist is that he in the end he's um, he's arrested for vagrancy and then he is uh, he ends up becoming a sort of a divin diviner because he knows about everything that's going to happen for the next 20 years. Uh, and so that's why he ends up in front of the king telling his story at the very beginning. So the, the whole thing kind of comes full circle. It's a, it's a set of stories within stories. Right. Yeah. Which is a format that I love. I, I love it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, so this is, yeah, this is a story like we were talking about that is very like deterministic time travel, like, you can't change things. Everything that has happened, everything that will happen has happened. And uh, yeah, and it's futile to, to try. Yes. And then, and then uh, this is a very, it's a very harsh concept of reality. And then yet it, um, it finds the, it finds a way to feel like life is meaningful within that. And mm -hmm. I think that this is something where Tichang was actually able to, um, I don't think that the, the, the milieu of this story, like being in the, the, in the, in the world of Islam and the world of um, the Thousand and One Nights is, is an accident because I think he actually gets to some interesting things about like Islamic philosophy, right? Like the idea that um, 
that like God has created everything and it's like totally perfect and everything has to happen the way it's supposed to. And the, that's the whole idea of like submitting to the will of God. Um, and I think that that he really kind of, I don't know, he like, he gets at something that's very interesting and very different than a lot of, um, than Western or Christian kind of conceptualizations about like our place in the universe and the individual and what the individual can do or not do. I think that there's something, I don't know, he gets to something really interesting and I think it's very humanistic and um, I don't know. I really like it. I, 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 it, like, I feel like there's a, there's a sort of G, G whiz. Isn't that cool? What he did quality to the story where you realize like how all the pieces interlock. Mm -hmm. Um, but then there's also, I think that there's just literally like life lessons in the story, right? I think it like can teach you how to be, uh, <laughs> how to be a better person in some ways and how to like be, be more at one with, fate and and what what what's going on yeah so what what is your what's your concept for this as an adaptation so i think that i didn't have anything in a way the story is so simple um i felt that it could be done in a just a really sort of straight way and you know and i i think that we have we've been we've been we've seen enough of these kind of fairy tales and 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 mystical mystical tales and things like that that i think that um i don't know i think i think it could it could really work it's also there's no special effects <laughs> or anything in this film um it's uh it's just it's just the location that would be you need it you need to have baghdad and cairo back in the day Right. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, a, but it's, it's not like there's no dragons or mystical mm -hmm. things going on. And so it's really all about the characters and just nailing the, the, the character arcs and, and everything. And I, so um, for the director of this, um, I was sort of like, I didn't know what I, who I thought would be like, I, uh, who would be like the perfect person. In some ways, I thought that, um, sorry, I'm blanking on his name. Nolan, Christopher Nolan. Okay. Christopher Nolan. Oh, wow. It's really funny. I forgot like one of yeah. the biggest directors in the world, but I guess that's normal. Um, and I was specifically thinking with him with uh, of uh, a movie I really like called The Prestige, um, which was also an adaptation. But in, in, in many ways, I think that actually uh, Christopher Nolan would, would really want to like tinker with the story and like kind of make it more epic and grand than, than it is. So I think that he would probably be, not be the right choice, but that was like the first thing that popped into my mind. And so I thought, um, I thought why not like try and go, um, you know, like as authentic as possible. And um, I, and I, I picked out a director who's, who I've seen a little bit of their work, but not a lot. Uh, her name is Hafia Al-Mansur. Um, and she's directed episodes of a couple different TV shows that I liked, um, Archive 81 most recently, um, another TV show called The Sinner that I liked. And, I, I, you know, and this seemed, when I thought about it, this seemed like a rather small movie. It doesn't seem like an epic movie. And so I thought it might be okay. a really good pick for someone, an up and coming director who has some Hollywood bona fides, but not a lot, who okay. has um, also connect, cultural connections with the source material. And so I thought that the, she would do okay it's not like i i can't say that i'm like have seen all of her movies and i'm like oh wow that she's the perfect fit or anything like that but i in some ways i felt like this story was strong enough that i didn't need um a very specific directorial vision 
recently I've, I've been watching some some movies recently i watched um house of gucci in fact two by ridley scott that i watched recently i watched house of gucci and i watched the last duel yeah and both of those movies i found myself questioning in the middle of the movie i was like should this movie have been made with american actors um or could we have just had i'm sure that there are a ton of italian actors who could have done this like I'm sure you could get the most famous, the biggest contemporary Italian actors to be in the House of Gucci. I'm sure you could get the biggest French stars to be in um, uh, in uh, Last Duel. in um, the Last Duel. Um, I think that probably in the future we will get to a point where basically we are almost always getting people from like the the ethnic or cultural group to portray the people i'm not a hundred percent i don't think it's like the most important thing in the world but i would like to but then you run then for me as a as a as a not a profession not like a casting agent right with like a professional knowledge of everything mm -hmm. i run into the problems that you know i was thinking about this and i was like okay who are some arabian actors who i can cast in this film right and i realized i, I realized that like i started you know i started thinking i would be like oh is 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 this person Arabian? I'm like, like, no, no, all like all these people are from India and Pakistan. Uh, and I know a bunch of actors who are from, you know, like Dev Patel and, uh, and Riz Ahmed and everybody. And I was yeah. like, okay, like I've been exposed to these actors. I don't really know very many um, or per, like, I know like some Iran Iranian actors, but I don't really know like many uh, Arabian actors. And I was like, okay, well, I just, uh, you know, I'm gonna have to take it on faith. But I also, I was thinking, I also want to get this film made, my, mm -hmm. my little film. So I have to have some sort of semi-bankable star in the role. So I, I thought I, I was like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna bend a little bit on my theoretical utopian rule. And I'm going to, um, uh, cast Himesh Patel uh, in the main role of the merchant, and he, I like him a lot in Yesterday, um, okay, a movie by Danny Boyle. Uh, he was also in Tenant, um, right, and 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 quite a few other movies. And I think he, the reason I ended up landing on him, um, and he is uh, Gujarati Indian and British. And the reason I ended up landing on him is I thought he's he's funny. You know, he has like a he's able to express he, the humor and the intelligence of a situation, but also a little bit of, you know, a little bit of sorrow and sadness, but not too much. It's like and I thought that that was appropriate for this role, which um, the, the merchant is quite debonair, but also has a streak of sadness in him. I thought that that would work um, mm -hmm. rather well. Um, and then I was able to to find uh, an Arabian actor who I thought would be do a good job in the role of the alchemist, who, who I actually thought would be pretty perfect. And um, his name is Gastan Masoud, and he played the role of um, uh, of El Cid in um, Kingdom of Heaven okay. by um, Ridley Scott. Also, and 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 I was reading some interviews with him, and he's really into old-fashioned sort of roles. He doesn't like he likes to be in period pieces because he's like sort of culturally conservative and 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 likes the values of the old <laughs> of the old times and everything. And I was like, oh, he'll be he'll really enjoy being in this movie. He'll uh, he'll he'll be this will be a good a good film for him. I so I think he'll enjoy that. Um, and so that's that's all as far as I was able to get with casting, just because of my limitations as a of of both my ideals and uh my knowledge of, of world cinema mm -hmm. yeah uh like you i um wanted to 
cast and hire people who were, you know, of the culture. And I didn't really, um, I'd actually, you know, I didn't spend a lot of time on it because I was working on my own pitch. (laughs) But uh, I actually was seeing this kind of as an animated film. Oh, cool. Like, I, I wish that it could be like a Studio Ghibli kind of a thing. But, you know, they just came out with their first CGI movie, which I have not seen, but it looks really bad. Like okay. just the visuals. And I was kind of like, well, I'll withhold my judgment. Um, you know, maybe it'll be really cool. And then the reviews were not good either. So, <laughs> so, but I was also, I ha- and I have not seen this movie actually, but I was kind of picturing in my head kind of the visuals of that film, The, the Secret of Kells. Um, yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of a, like almost a 2D look to it. Yeah, and I guess that's that's about as far as I got was like, this would be a cool animated project. I can totally imagine that. I can totally imagine it. That, that same studio could um, could do it, except that it's... Um, the only thing is that I don't think... I Well, maybe, maybe if it was like a French studio or something, but I think in general, like the... Um, it's one of those things where... It, in, in the United States, we like need our animation to be pitched at children with like children as mm-hmm. the main characters. And then so that's the only problem that I could, because I can really see it visually being stunning, but it's just that we would have to bring up the audience for that kind of film. Because in general, I feel like um, people just really, they think of kids stuff with animation, even though it doesn't have to be in any way, shape or form. So maybe your this film could be a, a shot across the bow that you can do a more adult, a more adult sort of thing. Or you know what also visually would, would be a cool look for it is um, the one Studio Ghibli movie that's not a Japanese production is The the Red Turtle. Um, oh, I've never seen that. Uh, it's kind of a cool movie. It's about a guy all alone on a desert island with a, with this red turtle. Um, okay. Like a giant red sea turtle. Um, so it like visually does not, you know, it's not the visuals of like a bustling city, like the story is, but um, uh, it has really cool, like all the backgrounds are like um, like charcoal pencil drawings that are like, okay, like colorized. Uh, I just thought of it just now. That would, that would also be kind of a cool look. I've been, I've been reading, so I've been not, I've not been reading, but I've been watching and rewatching a couple of Studio Ghibli films, some that I had seen, some that I hadn't seen. And um, I watched, uh, what was it? I watched a, a film called Only Yesterday uh-huh. uh, the other day, and I was thinking about how funny it is that Japan can um, support films that as animations that would never, ever, ever be an animation in, if it was made in the United States, because yeah. there's no special effects, there's no fantasy, yeah. there's, no, there, there's, there's nothing that needs to be, that's easier to do in animation, it's just basically a story of people talking to each other, so it's obviously much easier to just film some people chatting with each other and talking. Right, only yesterday is the one with like... The woman in her thirties remembering her childhood, kind of. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, and she's she's yeah she's reminiscing about the sixties, basically. Yeah, and it, if I remember, like it has some stuff where like kind of like the background fades away and they're on like white or something like that. Yeah, there are a couple. There, well, it's very artistic yeah. the way it's done, um, but it's it's also funny just because it 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 didn't need to be animated. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, I also watched Apollo Ten and a Half the other day, uh-huh. and that also. Um, you know, it's it's obviously filmed in some ways and then animated on top of it. So maybe uh, maybe the boundaries are expanding a little bit, and mm-hmm. we can have a little bit of room to do something like that. Yeah, 
you know, it's funny. Speaking of animation is like when I was probably like in my early twenties and like really into like studio Ghibli and stuff, I was like, I would be like, why, why don't, why is it animation only for children? Like, why, why, why don't adults watch this? This is great. And now that I'm like older, I, I watch a lot less animation than I used to. And I'll be like, that looks cool. I'll watch that. And then I don't. For some reason, <laughs> it's just like not as compelling as it once was. Oh, man. I, well, I also, I feel like the problem with me, I, I think maybe the listeners have, have keyed in on this too, because you'll, you'll bring up stuff and I won't have, I won't have seen it, mm-hmm. even though I know I'm supposed to have seen it mm-hmm. because, and I have just, my capacity to deal with the fire hose of media content is just gone down so much. And so the same thing, I'll, I'll hear all kinds of like cool animated things that I know back in the day, I would have been first in line to see it. And I would be proselytizing about how, what a cool movie it was. And now it'll take me years and years and years to get around to watching it. Yeah. Yeah. But like, I was just speaking about the secret of cows and I was like, I, I have not watched that, but I know it's supposed to be good. It's been out for, 12 years or something at this point 12 years something like that yeah. it's very good I, I i've seen that one but it's in the same the same breath i can mention that wolf walkers is supposed to be really good also uh-huh. by the same studio i've never seen that one right um so it's uh it's hard to keep up yeah cool well um that was the merchant and the alchemist gate let's yes. watch it I, yeah i, I, yeah, I, th- I think it, i think i think we didn't have in some ways, I, I, I think that it, this one doesn't call out to me as much to have an adaptation as like, say, um, hell, is the, uh, hell is the Absence of God, mm-hmm. where I can really envision what that's going to look like, either if it's like the dread-infused Safdie Brothers version, yeah. or this sort of like psychotic um, alien u- universe of that, that um, David Lowry might do. Uh-huh. I can really envision that. Whereas um, I, it might be a, a fault of um, Merchant and the Alchemist Gate is that it's just so straight and it's so traditional in the, the, the vision, but it's it's almost like a little gem. It's just perfect. It's been polished down and it is what it is. Yeah. That I feel like it could be the most straight, dir- like directed um, uh, adaptation and it would work just great the way it is. It, 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 it's not as, there's not as many challenges in this one, I, I think. So maybe that's why it didn't inspire as many, as much fruitful stuff. Maybe I should have picked a different story. Well, what were your runner-ups? One was that I think will inevitably get made and will be really interesting is um, the life cycle of software software, objects, software objects yeah. which is an amazingly touching story about um, the, de- the development of artificial intelligence in a sort of like um pokemon digipets universe right where people adopt these little creatures but then there's all these problems that arise where um the corporate structure that allows them to exist in the in 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 cyberspace starts to fall apart and the 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 people who are dedicated to it have to try and keep it alive um all with this really touching uh, sort of development of intelligence from uh, babyhood onwards. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's an. I think it's really amazing. Maybe one of the best stories that Ted Chang's done. I'm sure it will be adapted someday because it. Uh, it would. It could be really good. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what? Uh, something I was thinking about. Um, a lot of Ted Chang stories could be like Black Mirror episodes, 
except yeah. that Black Mirror is way bleaker. Like life cycle of yeah. software objects could be like could totally be a Black Mirror, except that it would be just really bleak and depressing. And that the story I, is not, from what I remember, it's um, no, it's it's really complex. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's I mean, it's yeah, it's 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 sad, but it's um, I don't know. I, I feel like it's it. There's a little bit of um, uh, hope in there. Hope in the face of like um, uh, the the technology just like going away for the for these artificial intelligences. I I, I agree with you completely, and I think I think that that's something. Um, when I remember when I reviewed the I don't know which one of the uh, the, the books I reviewed, but I. I, I also noticed that the the stories on their face value they seem like Black Mirror episodes. When you just tell someone the 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 concept behind a Ted Chiang story, oftentimes they'll seem like kind of light dystopia. But he always goes several layers more deep and philosophical than mm -hmm. you expect him to go. And he I, he I think he's quite humanist and not dystopic. I think he mm -hmm. believes in in our ability to adapt to circumstances and to have complex reactions to it that are not just like everything turns into a fascist um, uh, corporate state or something like that. Yeah, in fact, um, there's another one that I uh, just reread. It's just the truth of fact, the, the truth of feeling, which the- Oh yeah, that one's great. Um, it's another one about language. Yeah, and that one, uh has as part of it the um the constant people in the future constantly recording their what's happening to them and there's two black mirror episodes that play with that also and they're both super bleak <laughs> yeah <laughs> and one, one of them is about a, a husband trying to catch his wife cheating i think by, by watching her memories and like picking up on all these clues and stuff and then yeah, the other no. one is like someone trying to uh kill all the witnesses to a murder and they yes. end up like uh spoiler for black mirror like killing a baby too because the baby was there in the room with the recording going in its in its brain um uh, yeah so that that wasn't especially like oh my god why do i watch this show this sucks <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> I, I used to be a huge fan of Black Mirror. Like the first, I think it, it's one of those diminishing returns things. I think the first couple, two or three seasons are really quite amazing. And then, uh, and I think at some, I don't know how many seasons there are, but I know that like in the final season, I, I watched like one or two episodes and then I, I, I just never got around. But it was that thing you were saying about like, there's only a limited amount of time in the world. And I was like, I, I don't think I trust the Black Mirror people anymore to like give them another two hours of my time. Yeah. That we had kind of an amazing experience watching it once because we watched one of like the worst bleakest episodes was the one where um that kid is blackmailed into like doing a, a bank robbery and all these yeah are the, yeah. all this shit and and it's really awful and then we followed it up watching Sienna Junipero which is like one of the best episodes of television I've ever seen probably <laughs> <laughs> so we really had some lows and highs I don't know yeah you know, I uh yeah it's um it's it's it, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting show i mean in all honesty um if someone were to say were, were to do a a series of ted chang um one hour ted chang films right, and do like right. the, the best eight of them uh As like I would, a anthology series 
Yeah, I mean, I think it, it could be it could be amazing. I think he's he's really one of the best things going um, in science fiction writing. So um, mm-hmm. uh, more more adaptations of his work and hopefully good ones yeah. like uh, like Arrival. Yeah, it's not that bad. And then the other one, which seems kind of like a no brainer to maybe adapt, is Understand. Um, Love that one. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The one thing is, it's kind of on the surface, kind of similar to um, what's it called Limitless, which is the movie yeah. about the guy getting. Um, smarter and understand is like that except that it he gets smart to this ridiculous degree where he can like control his blood pressure and his breathing and like um you know at the point where he can he meets the other person whose intelligence has also been boosted they're communicating with each other by like vibrating air molecules or something like that I do love that one though. I love the the cat and mouse game element of it. Um, yeah, it, it it might be hard to adapt simply because so much, so much of it is not it is visual. The internal. Yeah, so much yeah. of it is not visual, and you would have to have it not be that they their intelligence doesn't get boosted to that insane degree. <laughs> but that is that's also uh, that's that's a fun one too. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I I think the the well is deep. I, I would uh, I'm I, I all of the ones you mentioned, all the ones I mentioned, I would like to see all of them. Uh, he he, I'm sold. I'm sold in advance. Do you have anything? Uh, do you have anything to plug for this this new uh, episode? Nothing that I am associated with, but um, I just wanted to recommend to people. Um, uh, one of my favorite books on writing is um, Secrets of Story by Matt Bird. And he just had a new book come out, a companion book called Secrets of Character. Okay. I just started reading, um, which is kind of an expansion on a lot of the ideas in the, in the first book. But, um, and it's, uh, it's a cool, I like uh, his advice a lot because it's, um, it's very like not prescriptive. He's not like, this is the method that you must follow that, you know, and, you know, he's like, you can take or leave any of this advice. And he's also very much like this is advice for rewriting and problem solving, you know, not for not starting from a blank canvas, but like, Mm -hmm. you know, if you read this book and like your story is uh, you find something that fixes something in your story, that's that's what it's for. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, just pointing to people to look to check that out if they're interested. Nice. Well, I'm definitely going to check that out. I hadn't heard about that. So it sounds I'm checking out both of them. I'll check out the first one first, I guess. Yeah. Um, I'll plug just really briefly, I'll plug a, a new TV show that I'm watching that um, I just started um, and I had no idea about what it was going to be. And so far I'm enjoying it and it's um, Outer Range. Um, right. I saw that was out. Yeah. I was on, curious about it. It's on Amazon Prime. I've only watched two episodes so far. It starts Josh Brolin and um, I, uh, I like it so far. It feels... Um, it's caught me by surprise. I don't know where they're going to go with it next. It reminds me a little bit like of a um, a German TV show I loved, which I'll also plug. Um, Barna and I love the TV show Dark, um, uh-huh. which is is great and completes itself in three seasons really perfectly. Um, and since we've been talking about um, time travel, that's a that's an appropriate one. So far, I don't know what our range is going to be about, but I get the vibe a little bit of an American heartland version of dark or something that connects with um i don't know uh twin peaks or something like that but not not 
yeah, I don't know. I, so far, I'm really enjoying it. I'm, I'm, and it's early days still. It might not be satisfying, but uh, I'm going to be checking it out, and I would recommend our listeners do too. Cool. I have not watched it yet, but I'll check it out. I love Dark. <laughs> <laughs> cool. All right. Well, um, I will see you next time, uh, and we're going to be uh, well. Uh, we can announce what we are doing for the next episode, right? Sure. Unless yeah, we're, I don't know, as long as we're not locked into it, like what if something changes? Well, well, you know, we'll what if the author uh, is canceled in the meantime? Let's. I don't know. Are we? Gonna, <laughs> maybe we'll maybe we'll stake our claim for you know, like the for the art and not the artist. Um, but we are going to be doing um, a, a novel, the first novel by Donna Tart, um, The Secret History, which mm-hmm. is over 20, maybe almost 30 years old at this point, yeah. um, has been bandied about for an adaptation for almost the whole length of that time and has never been adapted. And so we're going to we're going to take the, uh, a dive into this into this big novel and the ways it maybe should or shouldn't be adapted. Cool. That'll be next time. Cool, man. All right. All right. See you soon.